summer circuit continues. Live from Drift Bar in the Heights, your starting point for white linen night. From the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's the Killer Bees with Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Killer Bees ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. We are indeed at Drift Bar in the Heights, your start place for white linen night. Neon Dreamland 2 here, by the way. They're setting up for white linen night anticipation for the greatness that is, and Joe learned about it today. Uh, if you can't make it out tomorrow, though, you should. But if you can't, come out right now. Daily happy hour. Wheelhouse will be here until 7. Who's doing the Wheelhouse today? Uh, it is Beaky and Andrew. Beaky, oh, Andrew? Yeah. Beaky and Andrew? So Beaky and Andrew will be out here. That's good. Uh, Doesn't get any more white linen than that. <laughs> uh, on the White House. Right. Be- exactly. <laughs> you got some laughs out of that. Woo, you got some likes and impressions. Now someone just <laughs> screams, what up, H-Town? They got Circuit Land Space Cowboys tickets. $4 Texas drafts, though, today. $5 Wells as well. $6 House Wine. $6 uh, Ranch Waters. Jose Urquini and Justin Verlander expected to pitch Saturday, Sunday. They've not officially announced which day each are pitching. Verlander said yesterday during his press conference that he expects to pitch tomorrow. And in fact, the Astros.com does have Verlander listed uh, tomorrow in Urquini Sunday. So maybe they have announced and I just missed I think- it. Dusty referenced that last night. He did. So he what, said that Verla- likely, Verla- Ver- yeah. likely Verlander Saturday or Yeah, Sunday. I think that's where I caught it. They were waiting on Arkini's bullpen session, I, I don't. Think, I don't think the likely is Verlander. I think the likely is the, the question mark is, is Arkini yeah. good to go on and Sunday? And they've, they've announced the Verlander move. Verlander's on the active roster. Ronel Blanco got sent down. They have not announced Too bad. the Jose Arkini being on the active roster. So they're still waiting. I mean, why would you? Like, you have Parker Mashinsky still on the roster. You don't need to make the Urquidy roster move till Sunday. So maybe that has something to do with it, too. You know, Dusty's weird about that. Dusty's weird about announcing a roster move before officially having that because he doesn't want the other guy to be, like, upset and pitch poorly. Yeah, and, and you you know, I, I guess big ups for the soft spot and Papa's belly and his heart for the way he does things. But, I mean, it's the worst-kept secret in the world, and we knew that, you know, we, we knew JV was going to be Saturday. And it was just a matter of, are you going six-man rotation, or what are you doing if you're not going to pitch J.P. France when he was supposed to be pitching? And how much are you expecting to get out of Urquidy, right? Because as much as they think he's getting stretched out, he's still not capable. I don't think he's capable of going seven, eight innings deep for you. No, he would go 75 pitches in his last outing. So, I mean, whatever, however effective he is, but probably not depth there. I I mean, I I don't envision them not going six-man rotation. I'd be stunned if they don't go to a six-man rotation. And if France is the odd guy out, if you go a five-man rotation, I would be devastated. I, He's I been just, pitching too I'd well. I'd be pissed if I was him. I'd be, I'm, I'm upset as me if I think that you're going to do something with the guy that's been lately your best and most consistent starting pitcher. What are your expectations for Verlander the rest of the year? Now that he's a Houston Astro, rest of the way, what are you expecting from the reigning Cy Young champion? In the regular season, I'm expecting Justin Verlander-esque things since he's been an Astro because – We've already heard, and Buster only was the last one that, when I heard that he had went with his pitching coaches and, and went in and re- rediscovered his release point, and it was too high, and he lowered it. And with that, he lowered his ERA. He, he really started dealing. He was pushing through starts. He was getting really, really good results. And I think that, you know, especially like tomorrow night, he's just recently pitched in Yankee Stadium, and he handled the, the Yankees. And you know that he knows the league, and he's comfortable, and it's not new surroundings. I expect JV to do JV-like things. I expect that ERA to be below three. I, be- I expect him to be keeping you in ball games and doing exactly what you expected him to do when you went out and got him. Playoffs might be a different story, but I'll go there. If Verlander has a 324 ERA for the rest of the season is the Astro- for the Astros, you're taking it. 
I, I guess I'm a little selfish that I think it should be better than that. But because of the fact that I believe getting healthy, this offense is going to be better. If he's holding teams to uh, just about three runs a game, yeah, that should be all that you need. 324 ERA is his career ERA. He's 315 this year. So if I told you 315, you good with that one? Yeah, I'm fine. I, I was going to be very – I was going to kind of grade on a curve here and be lenient. I think if Verlander has a 325 ERA the rest of the year, that's that's fine. Yeah. Like a 325 ERA is one of your top two starters. He Plus, solidifies the rotation. The offense is the most important thing. You're getting healthy. You got two All Stars back in your lineup to where your all your lineup should be capable of winning most games that he gives you that kind of start, that kind of result. King of Twitch uh, says six, seven innings minimum for, for Verlander. See, I don't even think that I, I need Verlander to go deep into games. I wasn't even thinking from that perspective. Like, if I, I think I, I'm willing to live with, like, five, six innings of Verlander, kind of the old Roger Clemens where you knew he was going to go, like, five, six innings and give up one run every single outing. I'd be fine with that, Justin well, Verlander. And again now, Jeremy, let's think about the fact that he's still chasing numbers too, right? If he's got a big lead or he's got a couple-run lead, then I, that's all I need. Now, you know he's going to want to stay a little later if he's in a dogfight, if he's in a tie game or a one-run game, and he feels like he can, you know, if he lasts an inning or he goes another inning or so and, and he, the offense can get him a run, that may factor in. But, no, I, otherwise I'm with you. I don't need him going seven, eight, nine. I don't need him going that deep into ballgames. How about Jose Urquidy? What are the expectations for Jose Urquidy the rest of the year? The rest of the year. He had a 520 ERA. He has a 520 ERA this year. He got hurt, and he had a 520 ERA. Yeah, I, I don't have as high of expectations, obviously, with him as compared to JV. But I, I think he's going to be hovering around like three, three nine, three nine ish, in terms of his ERA. Maybe right around four. I, I'm not expecting, you know, him to blow the doors off anybody or take the world by storm like a JP France. I think that he's going to be a, a, a capable veteran five starter. But not, I'm not expecting much more than that. He he has a career ERA, or Keaty does, of 385. What if I told you he had a sub-4 ERA the rest of the year? You taking that from yeah, Jose Arquiti? I absolutely am. I think I'm taking that, too. Like I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm too lenient here with both of these guys. 713-780-3776. What is your realistic expectations for Verlander and Arquiti the rest of the year? If, if Arquiti has a sub-4 ERA the rest of the season, I'd be happy. If Verlander has a sub-325 ERA, the rest of the year, I'd be well, happy. And I think the way you look at it, too, is if I told you that you were looking at Blanco and Belak, and if you had a right. sub-4 ERA for any either of those guys, would you be happy? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is unequivocally yes, then if you get that out of Urquidy, and because you know the uncertainty of either one of those guys taking the mound, then you solidified who your five-starter is, and that, that should make you happy. Yeah, that's a good point, because that's who you're upgrading, right? That's right. You're, you're upgrading. Now, Belak did have a 374 ERA. Now, that was smoke and mirrors. Sure it was. A lot of unearned <laughs> runs, but a lot of self-inflicted wounds. Yeah, it's funny because Blanco and Belak had the same whip, a one-and-a-half whip. But Blanco is 468 ERA, Belak 374. Like, Belak was smoke and mirrors. Uh, but I would take a sub-4 ERA from Urquidy. I would take a sub-325 ERA from Justin Verlander. How about their uh, King of Twitch that says, want to see lots of movement on Urquidy's stuff. That's when Urquidy's going good. Urquidy's going good, not so much Velo, and he, he was actually throwing yes, harder yeah. with the Spacers than, than I noticed when he was with the Astros earlier this year. But his stuff is what is what makes him difficult to hit, is that he's getting it movement is. on everything. He's not blowing guys get away. Get you on the front the foot. Contact. Yeah, get you guessing. Get, yeah, he's definitely not looking to blow. He's not a blow-you-away type guy anymore. Not that he maybe ever was. 
I don't think, yeah, he, he never was. Like, he, he and J.P. France are kind of similar in that way, where they kind of throw the kitchen sink at you. Like, yep. their velo's fine. It's average, league average. But it's more throw the kitchen sink at you, get early contact, pitch deep into games. France, is, France lately can show you these, he can get it up over 95, yeah, 96. He, I was reading that uh, they were doing some, like, their arsenal stuff on the athletic, like what's a pitcher's repertoire, things like that. And they highlighted – Hunter Brown, and they highlighted J.P. France. They said France was getting it up to 97 earlier this year in the minors. I was like, I haven't seen France touch 97. Like, that's uh, a different he, pitcher if he's getting it up to 97. I, I think he has a couple times when he's ramped up, but yeah, his average it. is not 97. Yeah, his average is like 94, 95, yeah. which, yep. is, I mean, again, that's fine. Like, he's got four good pitches that aren't his fastball. And his fastball is league average, but he's got four secondary stuff that are all above average. He throws the kitchen sink at you. He's freaking awesome. And I don't want to see him in the bullpen. That would be a travesty if he's in the bullpen ahead of the playoffs. How about this week? Verlander or Keedy? I think t- t- tomorrow night you should expect Verlander to deal. Uh, I think that he knows that lineup. I think that he knows Maldi. And I think that where he's pitching right now and having pitched recently in, in Yankee Stadium, nothing's going to surprise him or anybody else. And I think that he's going to deal, and I think he's going to throw. He's going to have a good start. Urquidy I'm not as confident in. I, I think Urquidy's a guy that – as much as last start, everybody was looking, oh, look at how many hits and runs he gave him. So what? He's working on things. Yeah. He's trying to solidify secondary pitches. I'm not worried about that. I'm just worried about the fact that he hasn't thrown enough pitches to get fully stretched out. And I think that, you know, you're facing a tough environment on the road in Yankee Stadium. The team's desperate. And, and I just don't think he's going to have his best stuff. Yeah, yeah please don't get crushed by Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. Yankees lineup kind of sucks outside of them, though. Like, and, and Giancarlo's not a good hitter. He hits no. tanks. But that lineup's not good. Well, well they, one of their the best kid players that went deep year. last night has been hitting the McKinney? ball really well lately. Yeah, he's still like he's your five hole hitter. Yeah. That lineup stinks. Rizzo was like one of their best guys last year. You guys see what happened with him? Yeah, is that bizarre that the, the so, concussion itself happened in like late he, May? Like he was hitting like above three hundred, having an incredible season. Forty three games ago, he had a concussion when him yeah. and Tatis collided. Yeah, he's hitting the, get off the rails when the train's coming. Through. He's hitting one seventy two cents, and they just put him on the injury yeah, list for a concussion. Tatis, Tatis train? Yeah, he ain't a freight train. He hits tanks, too. Yeah, he is. He's got steroids in his blood. He hits tanks, but that doesn't mean that he's heavy duty. He's performance-enhancing drugs. He's juiced running down the line. PEDs. That's his forearms. That is not exactly – there's not a whole lot of sand in his back pockets. You never know. He is – I mean, he did get busted for PEDs. I know. Did you hear what Aaron Boone said about that, though? He was a little foggy. Yeah, he was foggy. It was getting worse. How, how, do, you have not, how do they not know that? How did that happen in May and just surface now as something they oh, should sit him down for? I mean, I think it's a fake injury. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's because he was struggling. <laughs> cash or trash? Trash. No, I mean cash. Oh, cash. I think it's a cash. fake injury. I spoke too fast. I think it's legit. It's the only reason why you do that now. Plus, you would. the only thing that I think they handle poorly is you don't start referencing it back to the Tatis collision. You say something happened. I don't care where you said that, batting practice or otherwise, yeah. where something happened, and now he's not feeling the, himself. The one interesting part of that, though, where like I, I give some validity to, is that whenever he said he was taking pitches for strike three, he was arguing with the umpires, and he'd go back and look at it on the iPad, and it was like healthily in the zone. Oh. Like that part, I was like, that's, that's kind of weird. I don't I know. Like, that's kind of weird. That's kind of like having sweaty hands in the Houston Heat when you're trying to play quarterback. Well, I mean, would you would you like a, a, admit that? I don't know. I don't think like, you admit that if it's no, not true. You know what you're exactly. Trying to- that's why. That's the. That's the one key of why. Like I'm kind of doubting if it's actually real, because I think that that's like why would you, you wouldn't openly say that. I think you would. Uh, People throw any kind of excuse out there these days and they expect you to legitimize. But, but Rizzo said that. Like, I know. Rizzo said I know. that I'm taking strike threes. I'm arguing with the umpires and I'm going back and seeing that they're definitely in the zone. That's kind of like. 
fake a sprained ankle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I don't like know. tripping down the dugout yeah, steps against exactly, the Mets. Exactly, exactly, because you want to line up the day when you're <laughs> exactly. starting in the All-Star That's game. That's right. 713-780-ESPN, the HRP listener line. 713-780-3776. Killer Bees broadcasting live from Drift in the Heights. Your head start for White Linen Night tomorrow. All right, Blankers, I have a – we did this a couple of years ago whenever Correa left the Astros because Correa was my favorite Astro, uh, my new favorite Astro. I want to do it with the Houston Texans, but we have to eliminate the Cougars because I'm, I'm a huge Cougar honk and homer so we know that tank dell and case keenum are on that list i have a new favorite non-cougar texan and you can tell us yours as well 713-780-3776 it's the killer bees on espn 97.5 and espn 92.5 you're back inside the mobile veritex community bank studios with the killer bees joel and jeremy live from drift bar in the heights we are at uh Drift in the Heights, White Linen Night tomorrow. Great time in Houston, and this is a great spot to start it off, Drift Bar in the Heights. Great spot to touch work early on a Friday, too. Uh, business picking up around here. Daily happy hour today, $4 Texas drafts, $5 wells. Um, Alvin Kamara got slapped with a three-game suspension by the NFL, kind of like he slapped that dude in the Vegas hotel hallway. Sounds like he did more than that. Yeah, maybe more than a slap. Maybe his boys had more to do it than he did or whatever he said when he said he was going to talk to Goodell and explain himself as what really happened. But so, I think there was enough there to get at least three games. Goodell jumped Kamara with a three-game suspension, much like he jumped that poor fella in the hallway of the Las Vegas hotel. Yeah, and I Can think we go the, with that? the poor fella, I think, you know, in terms of the term you used, I don't think he's poor anymore either because I think <laughs> that in order to kind of expedite the process they settled on a lot of things that probably had a financial payday for are him. you saying he took a charge i think maybe he yeah i think so did Kamara's charge oh. card because i think there was a payment would you take that charge if if you you knew that you could force a professional athlete and his his guys boys into jumping you and you're going to get a six-figure payout are you taking that charge I mean, look, man, I got I got 30 G's. I got 30 G's in student debt. If, if an athlete wants to punch me in the face and like just give me a hundred and like we're good to go. I'm taking that charge. Hell yeah. I'm taking Have that you charge. thought I'm getting a new about house? the ramifications yeah. in the impact, Joe? My wife can watch Joseph for like three weeks yeah. while I recover. I'm taking we'll that okay. charge. Like maybe a broken rib, maybe a broken yeah, nose. Whatever. My nose is crooked anyway. Yeah, I'm not going to die. Try to keep it from being a shot to the pie hole, though. That's I mean, fine. yourself. Take the ribs I, and the body shot. Yeah. As long as I don't die. This is like the, like, yeah. would you let Mike Tyson punch you in the face for a million dollars? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, am I going to yeah, be? but your brain can be scrambled for the rest of your life. Uh, cool, man. I've already got three concussions, so I'm good to go. You have three concussions? You yeah. didn't play football. No. Yeah, away. I did. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got them early. Um, yeah, I'm taking that charge for sure. So this means, for like, sure. when we get into football season, like in November, Joe's going to go, you know the concussions that I've taken in the past? No. They're now they're now causing me to miss some time. I'll be honest with you. You're going to Rizzo it. It does explain some things. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, Jeremy. It does explain some things. I have a new favorite Texan. I have a new okay. favorite Texan. Uh, John Mechie yesterday spoke to the media. Listen, listen to this soundbite from John Mechie. How can you not love this guy? The biggest thing I took away was just kind of to show up and fight, right? Like we kind of understand and we kind of take for granted life and everything we have to do or everything we get to do during a day. But then when it's taken away from you, whether you're young or old in the hospital, you kind of realize that um, you people see clearly what's important to them and who's important to them. 
right, their family, their life, regardless of what they were complaining about or what stresses you have, you realize that um, the biggest gift you got is, like, your breath and your heartbeat. So um, the biggest thing I took away was that, like, regardless of age, size, where you came from, everybody had to wake up and fight every day. So um, just keeping that and keeping that gratitude in the forefront of your mind for me will um, always be a good thing. What a what great perspective Solid, from John Mechie. Look, I'm still going to be biased towards Case and Tank. You already knew the answer to that. Uh, but my favorite non-Cougar Texan, officially John Mechie. As it should be. I mean, look, I don't have the, the bias towards the Cougs that you do. That right there, that's all world to me. Because we kept saying all along when other people were analyzing the roster spot and the receiver position, you know, ramifications of him having to sit out, we were the ones saying – I just want the dude to have a good life. I, I do. The, I want to. I want to have the dude be a healthy human being. And if he is able to still play football and play for the Houston Texans, that's fantastic. But when you hear a quote like that, you realize how many people don't have that perspective when things they complain about on a daily basis are happening in their life. They still have life, and he was facing a really, really tough situation. And, and you know, more power to him. He fought his way out of it, and I hope it continues to stay that way. But also just, like, the perspective, too, just being like, yeah, look, I it, it taught me a lot of things. It showed me how blessed that, that I am. It gives me perspective on friends, family, you know, life, career. Uh, and he's, he's 100% clear. He said yesterday he feels like he's 110%. I've seen him out there running around. He, he looks like his old self. Remember, he's also coming off of the, the ACL yep, yep. Uh, from Alabama late in their season. So I'll, I'll be rooting for John Mechie. I'm going to have a homer hat every single time I watch John Mechie play. And I'm looking forward to see what he looks like, too. And, it could, I mean, if, if he takes off, you know, second-round receiver, second-round receivers have had really good success in the NFL over the last few years. There's a decent chance he's the Texans' best receiver this year. Well, we've, we've had that discussion. And along the lines of, uh, of how he fits in, we've also had the discussion that it's a wide-open opportunity for him, and he's not playing behind a wide receiver one. And he's not playing behind a veteran wide receiver room. To where he can take the bull by the horns, no pun intended, but he can actually jump out of the gates right from the get-go and make a statement and, and create a niche for himself on this team as an impact player. I think it's genuinely a possibility because when we talked about it, it was Dalton Schultz, but if it's just receivers only, Mechie's got a good chance at anybody of being of the leading receiver on this team and really excelling. I know he's a, a second-round pick, but I kind of view Mechie as, I still view him as like a first-round quality player. You think he would have been a first rounder without I mean, the injury? He tore his ACL yeah, on December fourth. I think 4th. it's a genuine possibility. Like if he goes that early in, the, like where he goes in the draft, the way he played in college, like I think like Mechie's a, a first rounder back end. So like to me, he's always kind of been that level of talent. And like I, if he's the number one wide receiver for the next three or four years, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me either. I think he has a chance to lead the Texans to receptions this year, and it's cool because I mean he's he's back. Like he, he's yeah. back. He's going to be playing football. He's been out there. Every day but one got a uh, got a designated day off by by the staff before they were in pads. They've been out there in pads, hundred percent, awesome, awesome. You know score. the other reason why I think he'd have been a first round pick is because unlike when we say Alabama quarterbacks or Ohio State quarterbacks as it translates to the NFL, we know when you're an Alabama receiver, there's a pretty damn good chance you could play, and that NFL teams are seeking the talent that you bring to the table. Yep. And I think that's another reason why he would have been a high pick. Who, who are some other Texans that you're most excited uh, watching this year? Mechie, for me, let's let's take out Anderson and Stroud because they're the obvious answers. Like Most people are going to say that. Who are some under-the-radar Texans that you're the most excited to watch play this season? It, it's not even under-the-radar for me in one. I want Stingley. I want to see Stingley, and I want to see Stingley excel. 
I don't I don't expect him to have to be Sauce Gardner, but I do expect him to be an impact player because of where you drafted him. So I think that that more than anything else has to be one of the guys that I'm excited to see and that I expect to see great things from because there's other guys I'm excited to see. Look, I was a big Christian Harris fan a year ago, so I want to see more of Christian Harris because I think he's got a ton of ability. But I also want to see Kenyon Green because I want to see if there's any ability. There's a lot of them, man. Like, there's a lot of those young players that, that are ex- – that's why I'm bullish on the 2023 Texans team. Not not in terms of wins, but, like, excitement, development, players with prospect. Uh, Stingley's in that conversation. What if Stingley goes off like Sauce went off last year? Like, we're looking at this team much differently. What if Jalen Petrie – That's my guy. – develops so much from year one to year two? Now, like, they're not forcing Jalen Petrie into the box like they did early last year. He's your free safety. Jimmy Ward's your box guy. Jalen Petrie's the leader of the defense in year two of the Houston Texans. Christian Harris, what if he takes a huge, you know, huge step forward? Like, I am bullish on the young talent of this team. I don't think it's going to translate into a lot of victories in 2023, although the schedule is really, really weak. And it's the black cloud again. Because I would I would love to be able to just watch the Texans every Sunday and like, oh, C.J. Stroud had a random 300-yard game. I'm really excited for his career. Oh, Stingley had three pass breakups and a pick. Really excited for his future. Jalen Petrie, Christian Harris, Damian Pierce. There's so many young pieces on this team that I think can be the foundation of a playoff team in a few years, quite honestly. We've spent the last two years watching football that basically makes our eyes bleed. Yeah, yeah. It's been a terrible product for two years. And when you watch it, there's never any upside. Like, there was never a guy you'd be like, oh, this no. guy could be on a playoff roster in three years. getting ten touches a game. It was like John Grenard and who before yeah. last season. No one. And now it's you, there's probably 15 guys that you can name on the roster, and there's an argument that when the Texans are good, if they get to that point, they're going to be a key part of it. P- Petrie is the number one answer for me. Like, I, I'm most fascinated by how his role changes and the kind of impact he's going to well, have. Well, the other thing, too, Joe, to your point is we don't have to hear the negativity and see the negativity of Brandon Cooks in that scenario. And all the all the scenarios, whether it was ability-wise or player-wise, that were just more of a thorn-in-your-side negative kind of how's this going to end and when you're, you're not so removed it. from Watson, Yeah, now too. you want to see all the young players develop. And even Kenyon Green, I mean, at least he can run block. But you're hoping he develops into something too. But of all the young guys, it is. It's a lot like the Rockets roster where you got all this young talent now. Let's just see who can keep taping it to the next level and the next level. The storylines for the Texans the last two years absolutely sucked. Yep. Like you're talking about there was David Cully, Lovey Smith, Jack Easterby, Watson's a sexual misconduct or pervert. You're talking about trading him. You're talking about Zach Cunningham being waived. Brandon Cooks demanding, like, Brandon Cooks pouting on the field. The Texans' storylines the last two years were awful. The only storyline last year was what draft pick are they yeah, going to have. Awful. The coaching. <laughs> the head coaching was just a debacle. I mean, they, they were try, people were trying to force the Texans being interesting so much in the last two years that they were throwing parades for Lovey Smith. My goodness. Like, at least the, the Texans. the press conference. Th- yeah, it's crazy. Like, the sirens are going off, and you're trying to reach that the Texans won the press conference over Lovey Smith. Wow. Like, at least now you have some young talent that could actually be tangible and turn into something. You can like, watch I'm it. pumped up for that because because it's been so bad you can, the last two years. You can watch a game and see the Texans lose by 14 to 20 points this year, but you can walk into the next day. We'll do a show on Monday, and there'll be five or six things that we can talk about You're in a positive about. way. Yep. Like, look, C.J. Well, Stroud, like, he played terrible in the first half. They got down by four touchdowns. He led them back. They almost had a shot, but they still <laughs> lost. But there's, like, there's something that's just, like, worth a damn finally. Let's exactly. also consider that everything that says it always starts at the top. 
from the top to the bottom the last two years, from Cal being a laughing stock and the way he handled his business, all the way down to the general manager and the head coach and the and the coordinators and then the players themselves. It was all just blah and yeah, yeah. And just disgust and, and negativity. And now it's the exact opposite. Cal's turned over a new leaf. Casario's turned over some of his power control to D'Amico, who's the right coach. And now you've got exciting offensive coordinator and Bobby Slowick. And you've got players you want to get behind and you want to see develop. And it's a complete 180 as an organization from top to bottom. 713-780-3776. You're excited to see it play. Uh, 2256 says Schultz. We need some tight end action. I think he will be fun to play too. All right, Will a bit. Let's see what the Will has in store for us. Let's see what Joe George has in store for us next. Killer Bees live, Drip Bar in the Heights. Hey, right before we go to the break, I want to tell you about good people at Apollo Men's Health. I was there bright and early this morning. I saw those shining faces. Haven's one of my favorites. She was there. The rest of the crew was there. They take care of customers on a daily basis. And when you go in there and you tell them that you're struggling they're going to ask you questions then they're going to get you answers they're going to put you on a program that works because they care about their patients check them out today go to apollomh.com and see all the different services that they offer if there's a couple you think could make a difference for you sign up for your first appointment when you do that you'll find out most major insurance is accepted there's discounts for military personnel and first responders but then go in with an open mind tell them where you've been lacking They'll tell you how they can help, and they'll get you on a program that works to get you the results that you need. Everything from weight loss to getting in the gym to recovering from soreness, they've got answers for you in three locations to better serve you. Two near downtown Houston, one new in League City. Daco and his staff, fabulous people doing unbelievable work on a daily basis. Go see my friends at Apollo Mensa. It's the Wheel of Bits on the Killer Bees. Kibbles and bits, kibbles and bits. I'm going to get me some kibbles and bits. Who knows the bits the bees will begrudgingly bite? Well, let's find out. It's this mostly. Here's Joel and Jeremy. And Joe. <laughs> All right. Wheel of Bits live from Drip Bar in the Heights. It's your spot to get white lit at night started tomorrow. We've been busy all day setting it up. Looks great. It's going to be a great spot tomorrow. White lit at night. Great spot today. This work early. Come join some daily happy hour specials and then uh, hang out with the Will House coming up at uh, 3 o'clock. All right, what does the Will of Bits have in store for us? What does Joe George have in store for oh, us? Oh, you didn't hear S2D2? I, no, I, no I, I, did he talk? Yeah, he did. I didn't hear him at all. All right, we're doing Bush League or not. Oh, okay. And we're going to go back out to last night's game. Here is Chris Collinsworth talking about your favorite Houston Texans old quarterback, Deshaun Watson. There's almost automatically you have to acknowledge what's happened to him off the field before you're allowed to even begin a conversation about what he may end up being on the field. And we understand, or at least we're trying to portray the fact that we get the big picture of this situation. We understand how everybody feels about the various components of this thing. As a football player, though, which is what our job is, it is going to be paramount on him to be patient because I'm not sure that the Cleveland Browns can make as bold a jump offensively as what he probably would like to see. All right, there you go. Collinsworth bringing up the off-the-field stuff with Deshaun Watson. Collinsworth's taking some uh, some grief over this. He's taking a, a little bit of heat for bringing this up. Fair or foul, Chris Collinsworth on the uh, the broadcast yesterday. Wait, he's being criticized for yeah. being honest and telling everybody out there what we already know and what we're already feeling and thinking. Because that, a bunch correct. of people, a bunch of broadcasters have already made it clear they're not going to talk about it. Like they're well, not. Well, then they're going, soft. They're not going to take the. I guess we could have done soft or not too. 
for this. Like they're they're yeah. not really going to take the opportunity to talk about Deshaun Watson. And honestly, the NFL, I mean, the, these networks kind of already made their stance. The Browns are barely on prime time. How is someone that we as a show put in the top ten quarterbacks in the NFL on prime time like three times this year? It's one thing, and I've been in. I, I've been through it too with being the team that tries to get flagship stations to enforce stuff or not talk about stuff. It's one thing to say that you're a flagship and you're supposed to not talk about things, but when you're talking about the entire league and national coverage and people that you can't run and hide under a rock and say it didn't happen, we don't have an opinion, or he doesn't deserve to be judged like that, or we're not going to talk about that, well, then maybe he should have made decisions that didn't give us something to talk about in the first place and point a finger at and say that this guy's got an issue or issues. I, I think that Collinsworth was totally fine saying that, what he did, and I think the people that have a problem with it, they're the ones that should be reevaluating how they do their job. Yeah, especially from a national perspective like you're talking about. Like, it's kind of your job to bring up what a player – like, just who a player is. Like, whenever you're talking about a tight end for the Buffalo Bills, you tell his story, right? You're telling the story of the player. You're telling the story of the game. You're telling the story about everybody that's involved in the game. Deshaun Watson's story is forever going to have that that black cloud hanging over his career. And, look, I believe in justice. I believe in all these things. I, I'm totally okay that the Texans traded Deshaun Watson, even if he didn't demand a no trade clause. I will not be rooting for Deshaun Watson. But when you tell the story of Deshaun Watson, whether he was innocent, whether he was guilty, whether he did it, whether he didn't, that is forever going to be part of Deshaun Watson's sure story. Is. The same way that it was, it's always been a part of Ben Roethlisberger's story. That never went away. Quite frankly, it's always been a part of Kobe Bryant's story. Yep. It all went down in Denver. All these athletes that have had these issues that have come yeah. up in their lives, it's always going to be part of their story. So criticizing a broadcaster for bringing up a player's story, like we're not even that far removed from it. Deshaun Watson hasn't played a full season removed from the sexual misconduct cases in the city of Houston. Collinsworth should not be criticized over this at all. Plus, you bring up the point, which is the one that I was talking about as well. If you're a local team and your local broadcasters talking about your team that you're employed by, Now there's a little bit more manipulation. Now there's a little bit more, let's move forward, let's not address that because that's messy, right? But if you're you're Charles Barkley, if you're Charles Barkley and you work for a team, and Charles is a bad example, he's going to say whatever he wants anyway. But Charles is a good example because he threw a guy out of a plain glass window, and you still talk about that. Right. But And also, my point being, from a a local broadcasting perspective, you're going to be more, try to be more insulated and try to just sweep that under the rug and move forward because that's what the team's going to tell you you have to do. From a national perspective, when you don't have allegiances to a team and you know that it is a factor in your league and what's going on on a daily basis, it's your job to bring it up and to discuss it. And that's why those guys are so beloved is because they're not afraid to express their opinions and call it like they see it, like we all see it. The biggest insult to all the viewers is when you're basically led to believe that you're not supposed to uh, draw attention to it or act like it's even occurred when it Probably got under a whole lot of people's skin. It's also part of Deshaun Watson's production story. Like you, you talked about this a lot last year. We kind of we we had differences of opinions about it, about how Deshaun Watson missing a lot of football. Why did he miss a lot of football? We know why he missed a lot of football. Led to a lack of production. Now, does Deshaun Watson get it back? But if Deshaun Watson never gets it back, 
Well, that's even a bigger reason to tell that part of it because if Deshaun Watson doesn't become a top-ten quarterback again, if Deshaun Watson's a below-league average quarterback, if the Cleveland Browns go 5-12 and 12 this season because Deshaun Watson is lacking quality play, why? Why? Well, because he missed a year and a half of football. Why did he miss a year and a half of football? You have to tell that story. Yes. Do, we, do we ignore what Mike Vick did? We don't ignore no. what Mike Vick did. Now, Vick was convicted, did jail time, but just because Deshaun Watson wasn't convicted doesn't mean he was not accused, and just because he was only accused doesn't mean that you should just ignore it. Well, it's just like what just happened with Alvin Kamara. We're not going to ignore what happened to Alvin Kamara. People are going to talk about that. I mean, is Collinsworth not supposed to bring that up either? As a national broadcaster, especially if the Saints are on national TV or national broadcasters talking about what's going on in the league, they're going to talk about that, and then they're going to address it. You have to address these things because they happen. It's an insulting thing to do to someone that's a viewer that's following you and watching you on national TV if you want to act like it didn't happen and just turn the other cheek. Yeah, I don't understand how Collinsworth is getting any criticism for this. I don't either. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense of why he's getting criticism. So did did you watch any of that game yesterday? I did not. I didn't watch. Did you watch? Oh, any you know what? I, I'm no, sorry, I did. zero seconds. I'm sorry. I, I'm you sorry. You watched the Aaron Rodgers interview no, no, and then no, no, he turned no, no, it no, off. No, no, no. I didn't even. I didn't even watch that. <laughs> I assumed he wasn't going to play. I didn't know. But you know who? I, and I told Joe this uh, before we got on the air. What really impressed me was the the quarterback from UCLA. Oh, DRT. Yeah, DRT. I mean. That kid for a fifth-round draft pick looks like he might be a steal. You ready to call him a star? In the Not a star. There's a huge difference, as we, we know, when we go all the way back to our Davis Mills conversations. I'm just saying there's, there's, a, there's a future for him in this league, it looks like. There's potential with this kid. There's ability, and he threw some good passes last night. So when does he take over for Deshaun? He doesn't. And I don't, You know what? And because of their roster, I don't know that he's going to be a Cleveland Brown, but I think that he's going to be on someone's roster, and he could be a developed quarterback that could do some things. That new three-quarterback rule might, might save him, right? They, Maybe. I guess Kellen Mond's on the Browns now. I didn't realize yeah, that Kellen Mond that. was on the Browns. I watched zero of that game as well. It just It means preseason... If I didn't have to watch the Texans game, right. I wouldn't watch it. Yeah, it, just, it means absolutely nothing to me. A majority of the guys you watch, especially in last night's game. Oh, the Browns like, have Dobbs, too. That might yeah, be, that's why I oh. said he, I don't think he's going to be there. That might be a battle for the third job. Kellen Mond or Dobbs. Uh, no, I bet you, I bet you Mond gets cut. I bet you so. Yeah. I bet you yeah. DTR wins the job because of how I he played last night. Mon, they, would love, they would love to bury him, but because their first preseason game was happened, happened to be on national TV, too. Plenty of general managers looked at that and said, the kid can play a little bit. You know who played great? Zach Wilson. Oh, and he gave just, all the he, love. he threw five passes. I'm just looking at. I'm box that, score. Well, that was the storyline coming out of it. Was the, the the love fest between him and Rodgers, and Rodgers has done way more than a quarterback should or has to. Rodgers has okay. been a class act in New York. He's given up yeah, money. It's about time he's he taken over Zach Wilson yeah. under his tutelage. He's just out of a garbage organization, yeah. so he feels better about his Aaron, life. See, I've, I've always said this about people: if you leave Wisconsin, your life is better off. For Joel Blake. <laughs> Example number one, Aaron Rodgers. Example number two, J.J. Watt. What a guy. Once you leave Wisconsin, your life is better. Your life is better for it. Let me just tell you something. Without six to eight months of winter, your life is better. That's true. A lot less beer and cheese, but it's better. Even if you're a fib from Illinois, you understand American Rodgers is an American hero. Let's admit it. Let's admit it that he's an American hero. So we can now add another. uh, You're calling uh, Aaron Rodgers an American hero? He's my hero. Yeah. He's gone. He's a hero for the Yeah, because Joe's got a chance to win the division like he bet on it. He, uh, do- he donates $35 million to the Jets. He takes a poor kid under his wings. Like, how great is Aaron Rodgers? So I think we've also added another uh, check in the box to uh, Bill O'Brien, Jack Easterby, and Nick Casario, right? 
Charles Amenu, who just got suspended for six yeah. games. But remember the 49ers let him play yeah. after this happened? Yeah. That was weird. And then the Chiefs, he just got suspended while he was on the – I didn't even know he was on the Chiefs. I didn't either. I didn't either. They have a lot of former Texans. Aminahue, Reed. Yep. Reed's kind of the leader of that defense he a little is, bit. He is, kind of. All right, 713-780-ESPN. Uh, the Astros are in New York for game two of the series against the Yankees. Can they get it back on track? With Hunter Brown tonight. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Hey, before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend Doc Linville. Doc Linville, you might not know him. You might not know what a neograft procedure is, but I'm here to tell you, if you have pattern baldness or you're, you're thinning and you don't think there's anything you can do about it, you need to know Doc Linville and you need to know the neograft because it's going to make a difference in your life. The bottom line is, is he takes hair where you're never going to lose it genetically. You're never going to lose your hair on the sides and the back of your head, and he puts it where you need it most. Maybe it's in front, maybe it's up on top in the back. Bottom line is, it's a game changer, and you can get a consultation with Doc Linville and his staff for free. It normally costs 150 bucks, but because you are a listener of ESPN 97.5, you can get that consultation for free with no obligation, no money out of pocket, and every chance to get your hair back. Check it out today. Go to 975hair.com. Set up the appointment. Go in and ask questions. Get answers. Find out if it's right for you, too, because if it is, you're going to find out you're going to have self-confidence again. You're going to like the way you look because you're going to have your hair back where you didn't think you'd ever get it back again. I'm a big believer because I had the procedure done, and I'm telling you the bullet point that really got me, 95 to 99% of the follicles that are moved are going to stay and grow and be with you with the long, for the long haul. That's why I did it. You might have your own reasons for doing it, but if you do do it, you won't regret it a single second. Check them out and tell them I sent you by because I love the people at Doc Linville's office. Go to 975hair.com. ESPN 975.com on the Chase Long. Excuse me. Excuse me. What? Live from Drift Bar in the Heights, your starting point for White Linen Night. It's the Killer Bees with Joel Blank and Jeremy Brennan. Well, you know what this means. You know who's on the mound today. I'm a little disappointed Verlander starting on Saturday, though, because I was ready to hear Verlander's uh, theme music again. How? I My big concern is just with as irrelevant as the Yankees have been all year. And the fact that I don't know if you guys felt this way or not, but I felt they were even kind of tame with Bregman and Altuve and, and, and almost to the point like we were talking about that they've kind of come to the realization and finally succumbed to the fact that Astros and everything that has – you know, their goat, they have to bow down and realize they just can't compete. But now they win game one of the series, and if they can get on Hunter Brown at all or end up winning this series, it just seems like they might start the same kind of shenanigans and antics again where otherwise you could just put them to bed. How did you get there from I, I can't wait to hear Justin Verlater's theme song again? I, I'm just talking about the fact that it's really been when they announced when Verlander was going to pitch, and you just said that you'd rather have you would like to have seen him Friday night. Well, just because I want the theme music. Oh well, I just want to see him because I, I don't want to get dominated in a series against the Yankees. That's I mean, how I, I just, got I just there. I want the theme music. I'll tell you this, Dusty Baker. We got a Dusty lineup, and it's good. Yiners catching. Altuve leadoff. Bregman at third. Batting second? Batting second. Nice. Alvarez at DH batting third. Nice. Tucker batting fourth. Wow. Diaz batting fifth. Wow. Abreu batting sixth. McCormick wow. in left at seven. Pena at eight. Ooh. And Jake Myers at nine. 
That's an interesting lineup. That's well, a like really it. interesting lineup. I like it. There's no lineup funk sway there. He was fine going back-to-back righties. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Tucker hammers lefties. And so does Jordan Alvarez hit his two biggest home runs of his life last year against lefties. I love it. I like that lineup, too. The I'm so shocked he went Yiner over Abreu. A fifth? I know. Yeah. I'm surprised he went Yiner over Chaz. <laughs> I know. That's fascinating. I but think I like it. I think that's the Astros' best nine offensive players. Yep. Considering where they're going to play positionally. And I know people, well, Jake Myers, you kidding me? Yeah, Jake Myers better than Corey Jolks. Um, the, only, the only thing I would have done differently there, I like the Jordan Tucker 3-4. I'm a huge fan of that. I like Bregman in the two spot because he's an on-base guy. The only change I would have made to that lineup is I would have had Pena bat ninth. That way he gets top of the lineup protection. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because you're right that Jake batting ninth doesn't give him anything behind him. And then the bottom of the lineup suffers a little bit too as well. But other than that, I mean, look, I love that lineup. I love the, 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 the potency of what that lineup looks like it could do. I like the fact that Dusty looks like he can still be open to some things and make some changes and do some of the things we discussed. Like, Pena ain't right for the two-hole right now. And like, Abreu's not just has to be in a Sharpie at number five. I'm excited to see what that lineup can do tonight. Yeah, I am too. I, I the, the Pena thing's interesting because we were talking about it earlier. Like, who would you rather see have top of the lineup protection, Jake Myers or, or Jeremy Pena? Because I think Jeremy Pena can be lethal at times. He's streaky, but he can be lethal at times if he has somebody good protecting him. Yeah. And I think Jeremy Pena would be better off having Jose Altuve protect him than Jake Myers protect him, whereas I don't think it really moves the needle for Jake Myers one way or the other. But I'm nitpicking. Like, I don't care who hits eighth, ninth a whole lot. I don't really care about batting orders a whole lot. People are like, you kidding me? Of I mean, this, random. But I, I like I this lineup. Like, this lineup this is, is nice. This is probably the best lineup you could put together is this the death lineup for the astros i guess the only question be how do you i think the bigger question be how do you feel about diaz you know obviously his his still his numbers with runners in scoring position is still pretty poor yeah collectively through his rookie year so like does it make sense to have him batting fifth versus abreu but i, I think the answer to that is yes like this this is you're, you're, i think yatter's a better this, hitter this is the optimal lineup this is the you're, perfect well, death lineup. lineup your death, death lineup, lineup would be if I, uh, icing and sprinkles was yeah, but like you said, he's not a real person, right? Yeah, but, he's not a real but, person too. He's but a real your person. death lineup would be having another bat so that you didn't have either Maldi or Jake in the lineup. Yeah, but this is as close as you can get right now. Yeah, Jake, I, I don't, Jake, you can't ask him. Right Jake's more. a better offensive player than Mauricio Dubon. I'm going to take some heat for that. Jake Myers has had better OPS, better OPS plus than Mauricio Dubon. I don't think you will. I think I think the guy that I I selected as instead of Chandler Rome, you know, because I'm not the dumbest person on the planet. Um, we're on you the same Chandler page here. Is? Oh. No, but Chandler oh. and I are on the same page. Oh. So okay. what do you say about me? You have to say about Chandler. Uh, Mauricio Dubon, first half MVP. Yeah, he ain't get that guy no more. That no. guy's gone. No, but I mean, look, you know, and of course, everybody's going to say, well, you know, when I say who's a better hitter to have in the lineup, Maldi or Jake Myers, I mean, everybody's going, oh, Maldi had three hits last night. But Maldi's a less than 200 hitter. Jake Myers is a better hitter than Maldi. But... Either way, you're still hurting down at the end of the lineup when one of those guys coming to the plate. Although Jake can surprise you sometimes, yeah, but it's like Maldi. This is almost like I feel like that's just still like 2019 being spoiled. Like, how many eight nines are better than Pena Myers in Major League Baseball? Not many. Like, I, I know not it's many. not it's not perfect, but like, you know, we're watching the Cubs play right now in the Braves. They have the best record since the All Star break. But yeah, like everything they put out there is like is perfectly fine. So like, I just to me it. It's not like. Could, do you wish it was better? Sure, 
but it's still better than a 90% of Major League Baseball. No doubt about it. I mean, this is your best chance to do damage almost top to bottom. It's fantastic. I want to see it because if it succeeds or you see an outburst offensively, I want to see it on the frequent. I want to see it on the regular. I want this to be the norm, and I understand Maldi's going to be in there because of some of the guys yep. he has to catch, but I still am excited to see it tonight. This is my death lineup. This is my death lineup for the Astros. When we were talking about it with Maldi, Diaz, too, catching, that the, the, I, we, I think they're going six-man rotation. Yep. Yep. I think you're three in three. You, I don't know if you're on the fence or you think they're going six-man. I think they are. Yeah, I think. Look, and I, I, I think more so than anything else, especially coming what they're doing right now this weekend, you can't just move uh, J.P. France. You can't just say he – I assume – I'm expecting to see J.P. France first game in Baltimore. But I'm, I'm thinking that right now because you're still trying to get guys right and get and your Keedy's not going to give you a ton of innings, I think you're going to go six-man for the next month or till the end of August. And then as you get ramped up for the playoffs, you might go back to a five. Give me a 3-3 three, three ratio. Give me Maldi. Look, I'll concede that Maldi's going to catch Verlander. I'll concede that Maldi's going to catch Fromber. I'll concede that Maldi's going to catch Christian Javier. But you have to give me Yiner Diaz with Hunter Brown, J.P. France, and Jose Arquiti. Who says no to that? No one says no to that. No one says no to that. Well, it's the best of both worlds. Dusty Dusty might. Dusty might say no. (laughs) Dusty might want uh, Arquiti to have uh, Maldonado. In fact, I'm predicting that to happen. Yeah, it'll be 4-2. I am predicting. Maybe 5-1. I am predicting to be 4-2. Here's an interesting conversation. So Dusty's going Yiner ahead of Jose Abreu in the lineup today. So if Maldi is catching over Yiner four of every six games, we're going a 4-2 ratio, not a 3-3 ratio. If Dusty's willing to go Yiner over Abreu in the lineup and Maldi's only catching two of these six guys in a potential six-man rotation, why isn't he playing a couple of games at first base over Abreu? I think you'll see him DH. You'll see Jordan left. I think he still values Abreu's bat in the lineup. But you duck the question. No, I just don't think he's going to take Abreu out because I think they value Abreu. And Abreu has been so much better the last two months. Okay. But, I know Diaz has been better. But but Dusty's saying that he tonight that he wants Yiner to hit in a better spot in the lineup than Jose Abreu. If Jordan's playing, is DHing every game in Yankee Stadium because it's a big outfield. If Maldi's catching four of the six starters, why, why wouldn't Yiner get a start at first base a week? Just a week. Because I think he really like. I mean, look, and Abreu has a, a large mountain to climb in terms of digging out of the hole he created for himself offensively, but he's been a pretty reliable, a good stick for the last two months, and I think Dusty likes him in the lineup. I like the fact that he's not so hell-bent on him batting fifth, but I think that he still likes him as a veteran hitter in that lineup to where I don't think – I think he wants them both in the lineup, and I think that, you know, Yiner's going to spend some time DHing as well as catching. But you are I, putting too hard of a fight up for this. I'm not saying every day. I'm saying once a week. Like I mean, if, uh, if Yiner's I think, committed I think, to batting, but I think if, that, if, that lends itself more to a Braves probably not wanting to sit down. I would love I to see. I would I love to see players. Dusty yeah. does. Dusty does. I, I would love to see Diaz ca- but, take but Abreu is, a day is, off. But every is week. this not the same conversation though? No, is Jose Abreu's feelings not hurt because Yiner Diaz is batting ahead so. of him because he's still playing? And he's, he's doing it for the betterment of the team. But he's not going to do it with the betterment of the team by not starting. Right, because that's when he's not playing. And that as a veteran that came here in free agency, no matter what he's done or hasn't done with an ego, he's not going to want to sit out. Moving one slot in the lineup for the betterment of the team, he can accept. There are some Abreu I don't think. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you how Dusty manages. <laughs> no, I don't think you're wrong. That is how Dusty manages. But I want to know how Blankers manages. Oh, if this was me. Give me Yiner over Abreu just once a week. That's all I want. Well, once here's a week. the thing. If once we were, a week. But if we were managing... 
Maldonado would have been cut two months ago. No, I want I want Maldonado backup resigned. He's a backup I, want, I want to extend Martin Maldonado. Don't put words in my mouth, Joe George. <laughs> I want Martin Maldonado on the Astros next year, starting did you not tweet only on Flavor Valdez extend games. Extend the man. I did um, after uh, the no hitter. Okay. But last night it would have also yeah, been because fine. of the three hits. I do want to extend Martin Maldonado. I, I want just, him. I want him as the backup catcher next year and start once a trip through the rotation. I'm, and it's only he for starts Fromber. his internship with Joe Espada to be the next bench guy. No, he catches oh. Fromber Valdez every single time, and that's it. That's I'm it. fine it's if Maldonado's more. on the roster next year as long as Dusty's not the manager. Because if Dusty's the manager, then Maldi's going to play way more than the, he should. That might be and I can't card. do this again, guys. I'm already losing card. my hair. If I have to do another season of why is Maldonado playing, I'm going to go crazy. My hair's gray. Well, what are you going to lose when the Bears though? Uh, it's my whole life, Joel. Okay. <laughs> this is my life. All right. That does it for us. Thanks to uh, thanks to Joe for coming out here. Thanks to BMAC for doing all the hard work. Uh, he's Blank. I'm Brandon. We'll talk to you next week, Houston. Come see the Will House today at Drift Bar in the Heights. AC Gorgeous, Andrew Carlson, and Beaky, Brad Kellner next on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Here, your family.